Can you guys hear me? Okay. Well, I'm getting, uh, getting set up. I just wanted to make one more announcement. Uh, several of our family members have been involved with uh, Doxazo over the summer. Hopefully you're familiar with what that is. Um, it's a ministry to the Highcrest neighborhood here in town. And so they're going to have their annual uh, summer missions trip where they go out into the neighborhood and actually do some light construction, some painting and stuff like that. And so they're looking for volunteers to do that. If uh, you, uh, It's going to be July 31st to August 3rd is the time frame. Uh, let me get my glasses here. Um, okay, and then so there's going to be projects, uh, light, light work, um, not going to be tearing down walls or anything like that, just light construction. So um, if you're at all able to do any of that, uh, I think Lydia Vincent has some information. My daughter has some information. If you're involved at all in Doxazo, can you raise your hand <clears throat> from our family? <clears throat> okay. So just see one of those people, and they would be happy to, uh, to give you some information. So how are you guys doing? Is it a little warm in here, or is it just me? warm. We need to get some of those funeral fans. You guys, is anybody old enough to remember those? Yeah, the funeral, they're on a stick and they're like they're, the funeral homes. They're called funeral fans because it would have an ad for the funeral home on the back of it. And it would have some picture. Usually it was uh, uh, the picture of Jesus opening the door or at the door or something. Does anybody remember that or is it just me? Anyway, I'm going to order some of those. We're going to... So Jeff, when you see that on the, my credit card statement, that's what it, I'm not planning a funeral. It's funeral fans, okay? <clears throat> okay, so just bear with me. If you guys need a fan, go ahead and fan. Uh, so apologize uh, for it being warm, but it's it's really hot in here. Okay. Well, thanks for coming back, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. Um, if you were not here last week. We are in the second part of a four-part series, and it's called Doing Life Together. You can see it on the back there. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at some of the one another passages in Scripture that tell us how we're supposed to live as a family. Um, now, I'm not going to go over everything that we did last week, but I just want to do a quick review. And uh, let me grab a study sheet here. And start my. I apologize, guys. I am just totally not organized today. Okay, there we go. Okay. And so last week we talked about um, <clears throat> we talked about gospel humility. And remember, we said that it was, as Tim Keller calls it, it's self forgetfulness. And so that's the goal. We're looking to be uh, self forgetful. And we looked at a uh, passage in Philippians, Philippians 2, 3 through 8, and we said that, or I said, that uh, we're supposed to make our attitude that of Christ Jesus, the same attitude that Christ had when he humbled himself, and he came down and he came in the flesh, and he died on the cross. And so we're supposed to have that same attitude. <clears throat> and we looked at some of the things that we need to do to be able to have that attitude. And we said that gospel humility really provides the foundation and the framework for all these other one another passages that we're going to look at. Because 
if we don't have gospel humility, uh, then we can't bear one another's burdens, right? And we can't love one another the way that we should. Uh, we can't be patient with one another. That's one of our passages today. Uh, so we can't do all these things uh, that the Scripture calls us to do, and these are commands that God intends for us to fulfill. We can't do them without gospel humility. That is going to provide the foundation. Okay, and I do want to clarify, <clears throat> excuse me, my allergies are crazy today. Um, I do want to clarify something, maybe I misspoke last week, and this came out in the Sunday evening uh, time that we had. And by the way, we're going to do that again, so I will be here at 6 o'clock. Um, if you want to come and you want to talk about last week's message or this week's message, uh, there's no brownie points for coming, and there's no demerits if you don't. Uh, so if you want to show up, um, you're welcome to. There's no child care. Uh, you can bring your kids, but we're not going to have anything uh, for them to do. So just a time to talk. But anyway, last week, <clears throat> um, something came up. Somebody brought up uh, that maybe I implied that in order to get gospel humility, you just had to try really hard to be humble. And so I hope you didn't hear that because that's not what I was trying to say. Okay, because if you're just constantly trying to be humble, uh, then the focus is still on you. You're not emptying yourself. So you're thinking, well, I've got to be humble in this situation. I've got to be humble. I've got to be humble. And, and either one of two things is going to happen. <clears throat> you're either going to be, wow, I was really humble in that situation. I nailed it. Okay, which is the opposite of humble. Right? Or the other extreme is you're going to be, wow, I really blew it and I was not humble in that situation. And you're just going to beat yourself up. Either way, the focus is still on you, right? So you're not emptying yourself. And so what I meant to say, and, and I hope you heard me say, was that when, when I'm talking about emptying yourself, I'm talking about what the scriptures call putting off the old man. Okay, so if you're putting off the old man and you're putting on Christ, as you're emptying yourself of that old person, putting on more of Christ, the natural byproduct of that is going to be gospel humility. Okay? So some of you probably say, well, why didn't you just say that? And probably I should have, okay? So I hope I didn't confuse anybody last week by saying that, and I hope I didn't confuse anybody just now. Uh, if I did, I apologize. Okay, so this week we're talking about um, unity. And I think when we talk about Unity, we talk about Christian terms, right? We use Christianese things. It's helpful to know what we mean by that. It's helpful to have a definition. <clears throat> okay, what we mean by uh, unity. And so when I say unity, I don't mean conformity. Okay, so don't hear conformity. I don't believe that in order to be unified, the way the Bible talks about, we have to believe the same things. Okay, about everything. <clears throat> Now, here at Lion and Lamb, we have come up with a, a statement of faith uh, that I think is pretty minimalist. Uh, some people, you look at churches and they have a much uh, more in-depth statement of faith. And we've done that intentionally because we want our statement of faith to reflect what we believe or the, or the minimum core values or the minimum essential beliefs that you need to be a Christian. Okay, And so it's essentially the Apostles' Creed. And so we would say... Uh, that if you can affirm those things, you know, about the deity of, of Christ, uh, there's things about Scripture, um, that we would be happy to call you a Christian 
and extend the right hand of fellowship. Okay? Now that leaves lots of room for disagreement and, and different views on, on other things. So we don't have anything in there about end times or eschatology. <clears throat> um, I bet if you polled the four of us, we would all have a different take on eschatology. Okay? Um, in fact, I, th- I think if you interviewed the four elders individually, uh, you'd find that we have very distinct and different views on a lot of things. Okay? Um, but we leave room for all of that in our statement of faith. And so we're going to affirm certain basic principles. Okay. So when I talk about unity in the Bible, what, what do I mean? What's the common definition? And let me, let me try to illustrate with a story. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so most of you know that uh, I had the privilege and the honor to serve in the Air Force for a lot of years. And as part of that service, I got to go, periodically I got to go on these all-expense-paid vacations uh, to desert locations, to these exotic places. And I got to do it at the taxpayer's dime, so I want to thank all of you guys for, uh, for providing for my vacations. Um, but anyway, the Air Force and Kent, don't say anything, the Air Force is a little bit different than the other services in lots of ways, most of them better ways. <laughs> Okay, and so one of the ways the Air Force is different is in the way that the Air Force deploys people. So I'm going to use the Marines as an example because I'm looking at Kent and never, ever pass up an opportunity to dig somebody from another service. And so since I have the pulpit, I'm going to do that. Uh, Okay, so when the Marines, so let's just take a Marine Expeditionary Unit, which is 2,500, 5,000 people, whatever it is. Let's just say 2,500 people for argument's sake. When they deploy, all 2,500 people get up and go, okay? And they go to the deploy location, they do what they're going to do, and then all 2,500 people come back. The Air Force isn't like that, and I'm not going to bore you with Air Force doctrine. There's a reason that the Air Force does it that way. But what the Air Force does is they take small pockets of airmen from different bases, either stateside or overseas, and those pockets of airmen, they all meet up at one location, the deploy location. And those pockets of airmen from all these different bases, they make up, at that point, they make up one unit. Okay? And that one unit has one mission. All right? So, so let's just say if it's, an, if it's an aircraft maintenance unit, you might have guys from a bomber wing or a fighter wing or whatever. All those guys come together. They make one maintenance unit, and they have one mission. So they're all focused on the same thing. That's either getting people in and out of theater or close air support or whatever the mission is. But they're all focused on one thing. Okay, and so that's how in the church we are. We're all diverse, we're all different, but we all have one mission. And so when I say unified, it means we're all focused together on that one mission. Okay, and Matthew 28, 18 uh, through 20 for us is our mission statement. We're not going to go over that today, but it's, it's what we call the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world making disciples, all right? And that, that is what our diverse body is supposed to be focused on. That's what I mean, unity. We're all, we're all diverse people. We all have our, our differences. But we're all focused on the same thing. Okay, so 
with that as our common definition, we're going to look at our passage of Scripture today. And it's in Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. So if you're using a pew Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. It's an ESV version. And it's on page 977. And I'm going to read it out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Um, But you guys can follow along, and I'll give you a minute to get there. Okay. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Okay? And then that's really a great passage. Uh, At some point, it would be great to study, but um, we're going to stop there for today. Okay, so the first thing I want to point out is is Paul says, live in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received. And when Paul is saying that, his focus is not necessarily on us doing all these things so that we can be worthy of that calling. Okay, It's more that we have received this great calling, and so as a result of that, we need to live worthy of it. And... I hesitated to use this example, but I'm going to use an example from politics, and I hope I don't offend anybody. Um, if I do, I'd ask you to be patient with me and, and forbear with me and uh, uh, be forgiving. So some would say that the previous occupant of the White House and some would say the current occupant of the White House each in their own way diminish the office of president. Okay. Um, now that's not, not necessarily a comment on the worth of either of those two individuals. That could be part of your critique or that could be part of your thinking. But really, when you say that, what you're thinking of is you're thinking of the office of the president. Okay? And so we all think that the office of the president has a certain dignity or it has a certain uh, gravity to it. And when people act in a way that we think demeans that gravity, then we get upset. All right? So think of, um, think about when a celebrity pastor falls. I think of Darren Patrick not too long ago at uh, Church on, um, Journey Church, I'm sorry, in St. Louis. Okay? Or Mark Driscoll, that was a really famous one, in Mars Hill in, in uh, Oregon. Okay, when a celebrity pastor falls, we tend not to think too much Uh, or talk too much about their particular sin. In some cases, we do. But most of the time, what we're concerned about is what? What are we concerned about? Yeah, the reputation of the church, right? What happened? What are people going to think of church uh, because that person did that? And so that's that's what Paul is getting at. He's saying, you have received such a great calling. It's it's far beyond anything uh, that we could have received or that we deserve. And so because of that, live this way. Okay, so do you guys guys see the difference, hopefully, in that? Uh, There's some things on your study sheet. Uh, Those are for your reference about our calling. I'm not going to go into those because we talked a lot about those uh, last week. But I do just want to highlight D, is that ministers of reconciliation. And, and I want to highlight that because it's one of the main, that's one of the primary reasons that God put the church together 
and made us a unified body, right? So, uh, and that's actually the wrong reference. I apologize. Uh, it should be 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. So my apologies to, Pi- to Patty Ann for not catching that. Um, let me get there real quick. Okay, Paul's going to say, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So, so God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us that ministry of reconciliation. So as we said in uh, Matthew uh, 28, we're supposed to go out and tell others about that reconciliation that we've received. Okay? And so we have the ministry of reconciliation. And, and I don't want to imply that salvation comes from human effort because it doesn't. Right? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. Okay? I don't want to say that. But Romans 10 says that, uh, I'm paraphrasing, is that we are the means that God uses to get the gospel to people. Okay? And so that's one of the reasons we're unified Unified, we should be a unified church, is so that we're getting the gospel out to people. That's that's the reason that we're here. Okay, so back to Ephesians four, and I want to skip over verses verse two for a second, um, and I'm going to look at verse three because this is really uh, the heart of what we're talking about. So, so Paul says. Um, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Okay? And I think in the ESV version it says eagerly. Does it say eager? Eagerly or be eager? Be eager to keep the unity of the Spirit. Okay? So at the risk of sounding like Captain Obvious, let's look at a couple of things about the unity of the Spirit. Because Paul says we're supposed to be diligent about it. We're supposed to be eager about keeping it. Well, what is it about that? that we should be so eager to keep and so diligent to keep. Okay? Um, the first is that it's the unity of the Spirit is supernaturally created. Okay? And, and that sounds like an obvious statement, right? Um, you've got 1 Corinthians 12 on your study sheet. And that is just a fabulous passage about how, how God takes the diversity of believers who are individuals and he makes them one body. And it talks about how the Spirit gives gifts to individuals. So we're all gifted with certain things. We're all gifted with with things we can do well. And all those gifts are supposed to be used in the service of the body. Okay? So the unity of the Spirit is God-ordained and Spirit-driven. All right? And so it's, it's supernatural. It's not something that we put together... Uh, because if we were going to put something together, we were going to be unified, it would be people that look, that look just like us, that think just like us, uh, right? that we're comfortable with. And, and, and we have a diversity of people that we all sharpen each other, we all make each other uncomfortable. We're all different, but one. All right, and the second is that it's rooted in the unity that Godhead enjoys. Um, you know, over and over and over in the Scripture, you see that the Godhead has always enjoyed perfect unity between uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Okay? So it is entirely natural 
that the body of Christ would be a reflection of that unity. Okay, uh, if it wasn't, it would be it would be kind of weird. All right, and the third thing is that the unity of the spirit is bound by peace. Okay, and and the Greek word translated peace there. Um, it carries the thought of safety and prosperity. Okay, so it's a, it's a more robust peace than just the absence of conflict. Um, you know, you think of, uh, has anybody been to, to Korea? Or you know about the DMZ between North and South Korea, right? Okay, so there's a demilitarized zone between the two countries because there's an armistice, not a peace treaty. Okay, so there's an absence of conflict, but there's not peace there. All right, if you go, the North Koreans are always looking at you, and, and there's been conflicts around the border. People have gotten killed. So, so there's an absence of open conflict, but there's not peace in the sense that we're talking about. All right, but the peace that Paul is talking about is a peace that allows for prosperity and for growth. All right, and if you go back to Ephesians 2, uh, where Paul says Christ himself is our peace. Okay? And so through the blood-bought peace of Christ, we have access to the Father. All those things in Ephesians 2 that we have access to, right? We have access to all the riches uh, of God in Christ. We have, we have, we're brought near to the Father. All those things are because we have peace. God made peace with us through Christ. Okay, so that's, a, that's the kind of peace. It's a peace that leads to prosperity, to, to goodness for God's people, um, it's a it's a joyful peace. Uh, it's more than just not being con- not conflict. All right. So the question is, uh, we're supposed to maintain unity. Unity is a good thing. We would all agree on, with that. Um, how do we how do we get there? That's always the rub, right? How, how do we how do we how do we do that? Sounds good. I agree with you, but how? And so let's go back to verse two. Uh, I know we're doing a lot of back and forth. Uh, Stay with me. I know it's hot. Stick with me. Paul's going to list four attributes that we need to have in order to maintain the the unity of the Spirit. Okay? And the first is humility with all gentleness. Okay, now we've probably had all the humility that we can stand for a while um, after last week. So we're going to skip over humility and we're going to go to gentleness. All right? And, And what Paul is talking about there is when he's talking about we need to be uh, gentle with each other is we need to have an attitude and a disposition where we don't cause unnecessary offense. Okay? So there are times when uh, we sin, we sin against each other, um, and, and we have to confront each other. In those times, we can still be gentle, right? We want to go to each other, we want to be firm that you've sinned, but we don't want to cause unnecessary offense. And so I guess my paraphrase would be, uh, we don't need to be jerks, all right? Uh, we, we can lovingly confront each other, we can interact with each other, but just we don't need to be jerks about it, okay? And, and we all know those Christians, and maybe we have been those Christians, right, where we're passionate about a certain doctrine, you know, maybe you're a maybe you're a maybe you're a three point Calvinist or you're a four point Calvinist or you're a five point Calvinist, and, and you just can't understand how anybody can't get uh, get there with you, right? And so you're just you're overbearing. Uh, we're not to be that way towards each other. We're to be gentle towards each other. 
we should give each other tons and tons and tons of grace. Okay? All right. The next thing is patience. Uh, we need to be patient with each other. All right. One of the reasons we need to be patient is that we are all at different points in our sanctification. Okay? So we have uh, people who have been saints for a long, long time. We've been people that have been saints for a very short time. And, and maybe we have people that are not saints at all. And so let me just kind of illustrate from our household. So uh, we have a, from a nine-month-old to a 22-year-old in our home. Okay? And so Isabella, who is our, not our, she's staying with us. We, we consider her ours. Um, so she's nine months old. So when she screams because she wants something, she wants food or whatever, and she's just bellowing at the top of her lungs, we're a little more patient with her. We're trying to teach her to sign for more, right? So she goes like this and screams when she wants more. So this is totally not working, but uh, we all do this. So we're all, yeah, the, the adults around the table are going like this, and she's in the high chair screaming. Uh, okay, but anyway, we're patient with her because we expect her to act a little bit differently, Okay. Now, if my 17-year-old Lydia is screaming about food or crying or throwing, well, then, yeah, like Alan said, we got a problem, okay? <laughs> All right? So this is a totally different thing. And, and it's, we're like that together as a body, okay? We're all at different points in our sanctification, all right? And so as I said earlier, we need to give each other grace. We need to be patient with each other, Okay? And then we need to accept, and Paul says we're gonna, we need to accept one another in love. Now, um, if you're on Facebook and you're part of Bell Street Believers, this week I posted that graphic that I had last week, which had all the one another passages. And Lisa Barker pointed out that love just dominated that graphic, right? So it was just huge in comparison to, to everything else. All right, and it's because love is... Uh, the most important attribute. Love is what binds everything together. All right, And it's because we've received love of Christ that we can offer love to each other. All right? Because we've been forgiven, we can do all these other things for one another. All right, so what is the result? If we live like that, we do that, um, what's the result? And, and just as we're winding down, uh, there's just three that I want to touch on quickly. Um, one is that uh, as as we're as unity, we're moving together towards maturity. Is we get the ability to discern uh, deceitful schemes. Okay, and if you go just a little bit further in chapter four. Um, Okay, in verse 14, it says, Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Okay, and then it goes on to say, that, But let us grow into unity. So that's one of the benefits of us being unified together and growing together. We, we won't be tossed about by every wave of doctrine. Okay, and listen, is that, is that important for us guys? Is that important now in the day and the age that we live in? 
Yeah? Yeah, I would say yes, it is important. Okay, so our culture, and unfortunately the church, is awash in uh, deceitful schemes. And the thing about deceitful schemes is they sound plausible. All right? So it's pretty easy to recognize outright heresy for most of us. We can, we, can, we can recognize that. What isn't so easy to recognize is deceitful schemes. So in the church today um, and in our culture, we're having debates about what the first 11 chapters of Genesis mean, uh, which has implications for what the rest of the Bible means. Okay? Uh, we're having debates about what it means to be a man or a woman. Okay, something is simple. Did God create? Did God create them male and female? All right. So that has implications. And listen, if you've never engaged with any of those arguments, you should. Okay, because one, it'll sharpen your apologetic. All right. But some of those arguments are plausible on the face of them. Okay, if you don't dig. Uh, you just read them, you read them in passing, maybe you read them in your Facebook feed or your Twitter feed or whatever, they sound plausible. Okay? But those are deceitful schemes. And that pulls us off, uh, it pulls us away from orthodoxy, it pulls us away from our mission. Okay? And even more than that, when we embrace those, there are eternal consequences for people. Okay? So if we are telling people uh, whatever it is, whatever you're doing is okay and does not need to be repented of. That has eternal consequences for somebody. Okay? So that's why we need, to, we need to be mature. We need to be united in maturity so that we can discern those things. Okay, the other one is growth. Um, if you look at Acts 2, the early church, they had everything in common. Uh, they were together all the time. They were sharing meals together. People were selling stuff. Um, and, and nobody had any needs. And the result, if you look at verse 47 of, of Acts chapter 2, was every day God was adding to them people that were being saved. Okay, So again, God was doing the adding. It wasn't that they were just having these fantastic potlucks and people were just coming and, and eating food and getting saved. Uh, it was They were an evangelizing church. And part, at least, of that evangelism was their togetherness. Right, So people would see them serving each other radically, serving, uh, doing just crazy stuff, selling stuff, and bringing it so that somebody had a need. And that was opportunities to say, wow, why are you guys different? What, what is it about you? What do you have that these other people don't have? Okay, So when we're united and we're serving each other in just absolutely crazy ways, that's, that's a witness to our neighbors. And those are opportunities for us to say, well, this is what's different. Okay, this is why, this is why I treat these people who I'm not blood-related to differently. Okay, because we're one. And because I love them and I'm committed to their good. All right, so as we're unified, that's a witness. And, and listen, as we do that and we have those opportunities to evangelize, growth can't help but happen. All right, because we're going to be we're going to be sharing the gospel. We're going to be doing what we're called to do in Matthew 28:18, right? We're going to be making disciples. Okay? And and so here's the challenge 
To the extent that that's not happening, okay, we all need to examine ourselves and, and say why. Why is that not happening? Right? Are we not living in a certain way that's not allowing that to happen? All right? And I get it, it's a different culture. Um, we're, we live in a different time. Okay, but we all, need to, we all need to examine ourselves. Are there things that we could do to live more unified in community um, that would bring that growth about? Okay, and then finally, unity just testifies to the reality of Jesus, uh, that Jesus is who he said he was. Uh, in John 17, it's called the high priestly prayer, and, and this is Jesus praying for us, okay, the people that are sitting here in this room. And he says, I want them, this is my paraphrase, I want them to be completely one so that the world will know that the Father sent me and that the Father loved them the way the Father loves me. Okay? And so our unity, both in this body and our unity um, with other believers in Topeka and around the world is evidence that, that Christ is real, that the Father sent him. All right, so think about um, almost all over the world, the church has either met or is going to meet. All right, so so we're 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 an expression of the church here, sitting in this room, uh, this very hot room in Topeka. Okay, and in Nepal, I don't know what time zone they're on. They've either met or are going to meet. Okay, the church, the same church, is going to meet. In China, the same church is going to meet. In Indonesia, the same church. Maybe they're going to meet in secret, but the church is going to meet. Okay? And all of that, that there's one church that meets in different locations. We're all united in one body, even though we're in different expressions. That is a sign to the world that Christ is who he said he was. Okay? All right. Uh, there's some study questions on there. We're not going to go through those. Um, those are actually from a little Puritan book, um, or by a Puritan, not a Puritan book. Uh, a book by a Puritan um, called Thomas Brooks, and it's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, if you're at all interested. But these are just uh, for you to think about... Um, uh, to ponder. These are things that cause disunity in the body. Um, and, and I love that quote from, is it Johnny or Johnny? Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, you know, believers are never told to become one. We already, all, we already are one. And because we're one, we're supposed to act like it. Okay? So I just want to close. Um, I want to close with Psalm 133. Because I think David said it pretty well and probably much better um, than I could. And this is what David says. Um, he says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. It is like fine oil on the head, running down on the beard, running down Aaron's beard onto his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon falling on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has appointed the blessing." Live forevermore. Let me pray for us. Father, um, 
Thank you, dear God, that, uh, that we are one. Um, Father, there are many uh, local expressions of the one body, and, and Father, we are a part of that. Um, dear God, Father, just pray that uh, we would uh, do what Paul tells us to do, that we'd be diligent uh, to maintain the unity of the Spirit, um, uh, that, that we'd recognize that unity, dear God, that we'd guard it, that we'd be jealous for it the way that you are. Um, and Father, would you, would you help us to, to do all these one another's, dear God, to love each other well, uh, to be patient with one another, uh, dear God. And as a result of that, dear God, to bear witness, uh, bear witness to the world um, that there's something different about us. And Father, for opportunities uh, to speak that difference to others. Um, God, as we worship you in song, uh, let us worship you with our hearts. And let us worship you with our minds, uh, dear God, and just really connect with you, uh, draw into your presence, dear God. It's for your beautiful name that we pray it. Amen.